Okay, folks, this is a journey through history. Today is December the 6th, 2022. Right. And tonight, uh, uh, this is David Fauché is our guest speaker doing a uh, historical fiction book like we do two or three times a year. And we're discussing the book, The Storyteller of Casablanca. So, uh, David, do you want right. to in- introduce your recordings or whatever? Sure. We, we, um, I'm bl- glad everybody could make it. As Alan said, the book is a storyteller of Casablanca. I noticed several times in my recording, I said Casablanca, but then I was paying attention. It seems to be the preferred pronunciation is Casablanca, unless you speak Spanish when it, you want to call it Casablanca, literally White House, probably because that was the color of many of the dwellings there. Anyway, we have a recording that will tell you a bit about the city and an interview with the author, and I'll go ahead and, and let Brad play it. and. Anyway, after that, we can discuss the book. I'll probably have everyone raise their hand if they want to talk. You can use Alt-Y or star nine. And I will I think I'll have Alan just call on people whose hands are raised and I'll take over. Sounds good. All right. We're ready to play the recording here. We go. I'm going to mute everybody and then we're going to play the recording. Welcome to Journey Through History for Tuesday, December 6th, 2022. We will be discussing the book, The Storyteller of Casablanca by Fiona Volpe. I have decided to begin with a brief tour of modern-day Casablanca or Casablanca. I've heard several pronunciations of this Moroccan city. Then we will hear a short interview with the author. So let's begin. Casablanca is the largest city of Morocco. Located in the central western part of Morocco bordering the Atlantic Ocean, it is the second largest city in the Maghreb region and the eighth largest in the Arab world. Casablanca is Morocco's chief port and one of the largest financial centers in Africa. The city has a population of about 3.7 million in the urban area and over 4.3 million in the greater Casablanca. Casablanca is considered the economic and business center of Morocco, although the national political capital is Rabat. The area which is today Casablanca was founded and settled by Berbers by at least the 7th century BC. It was used as a port by the Phoenicians and later the Romans. In the 19th century, the area's population began to grow, as it became a major supplier of wool to the booming textile industry in Britain and shipping traffic increased. Casablanca is the main gateway to Morocco and most visitors' first taste of the country, as it is home to the primary international airport. This bustling city is Morocco's business powerhouse and industrial center, with a modern swagger that is unseen in other parts of the country. Needless to say, compared to the exotic charms of Marrakesh and Fes, it can compete, and most visitors only pass through or stay one night. Despite the fact that Casablanca's tourist attractions and sites may be few, you will find some gems if you delve a little deeper. On the shoreline, just beyond the northern tip of Casablanca's old city, the Hassan II Mosque dominates the entire city. Finished in 1993, 
It is the second largest mosque in the world, with the world's tallest minaret, which is 200 meters high. The prayer hall can accommodate 25,000 worshippers, while the courtyard can fit another 80,000. Cathedral du Sacré-Cœur was built in the 1930s, and its architecture is a harmonious blend of both European and Moroccan style. Unfortunately, it has been left to wither in the past few decades, and is now in need of serious restoration. But even in its current dilapidated state, the structure is still beautiful. The Medina is the oldest part of Casablanca, surrounded by remnants of a wall, gates and fortifications. It's a rambling and ramshackle neighborhood with an authentic residential feel, and a great place to experience the pulse of Casablanca life. Place Mohammed V is the central plaza of Casablanca. It is home to many of the city's important official buildings, including the main post office, Palace of Justice, Prefecture, French Consulate, and the main Bank of Morocco. The square has a central fountain and well-tended gardens. During the evenings, it is a local favorite spot for promenading. Casablanca's Corniche is the city's vortex for those who want to see and be seen. Much of the shoreline is now home to luxury hotels and restaurants. During the day, the many beach clubs here do a roaring trade, with people lapping up the rays and splashing in the club swimming pools. Farther along the shoreline is the public beach. On sunny weekends, this is a great spot for people watching, with plenty of local families heading to the sand for picnicking and promenading. Casablanca sitting on the edge of Atlantic Ocean, has a mild weather temperature throughout the year. July and August are the best months to visit the city, as these are warm and comfortable. The fall months can be extremely rainy and can also lead to roadblocks. Therefore one should strictly avoid making trips to Casablanca from November to February. Hey there, I'm Becky and welcome to Literary Escapes. I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to Fiona Valpi. We are so excited to have you here. It's fantastic from an author's point of view to be able to connect with readers so much more directly, ironically, at a time when we are exactly. so much more apart. So great wonders of modern technology. How long have you lived in Scotland? Is this your home? Um, Scotland is my home. Yeah, I am. Um, I've lived in many, many different places, but Scotland has always felt like the, the place where my roots kind of um, refuse to let go, you know, wherever you go in the world. So I have lived in France um, for seven years. I lived in South Africa for six years. I lived in Canada for two years. I've been south of the border in England, but um, Scotland is where I keep coming back to and I love okay. it. And How did you get into writing? Well, I started when I lived in France. So that, that move to France, which happened fairly late in life. Um, my two sons were, were grown up to the stage where they were just finishing school and, and okay. going off to college. My then husband and I, because we've since got divorced, life okay. happens, we decided that we would sell up in Scotland where we were living at the time and, and go have this adventure. You know, it was the time that we could do it. We could move to France and yeah. we could do up a crazy falling down old farmhouse and and um, try new things. We tried working in the wine industry and I became a yoga teacher because I'd always loved doing yoga. So it was a really uh, creative opportunity, really, for the first time in my life. You know, I'd always 
I'd always worked full time in an office job. I'd been busy bringing up my two boys. Um, Suddenly I had time. And I also, most importantly, had the inspiration living in France. But while I was living there in France, I the, the house that we had was in an area that had been right on the demarcation line between the occupied and unoccupied part of the country during World War II. Oh, wow. And, um, and this is the big irony of this. I'm introduced as a writer of historical fiction. When I was at school, I didn't pass a history test ever. History was not my subject. I just hope my history teachers have read some of my books. But that's something that we don't particularly have yeah. in our country. Because same, while, same in Britain. Yeah, there's yeah. a lot of people that maybe have fought in the war. Yeah. And, and I think that, you know, our country had, you know, where you had to cut back on things. You didn't, you know, there was rationing yeah. and things like that. But, you know, there was no line down the middle of our country where no. this one was no. occupied and this one wasn't. Yeah. And, so and being occupied by an enemy invader who so that yeah. you know, from one day to the next everything changes the rules change yeah. the laws change you all the rights that you thought you had everything that you'd you know voted for or worked for or contributed to it's just like someone's taken a pen and drawn a line through it i think it was really having it brought to life for me by by being in that part of france where even though it's 70, 80 years ago now, it's still just underneath the surface. What being in a divided country and an occupied country did to communities and to even to the generations today right. um, is still really relevant and really there. And that has a really lasting effect on, on cultures as well as on the individual people and the communities. As I was living in France, and, and it took time because they st- People in France still don't like talking about these things. It's kept under the surface. But slowly I got to know my friends and neighbours and these little stories would come out and oh, it was so fascinating, so moving. I would imagine, yeah. That that then took me in that direction. So, in fact, since my first three books, which were really contemporary novels, everything I've written since then has had a World War II strand. I I was noticing that. So how did the Morocco piece come about? Full confession here, everybody. I still haven't been to Morocco. And I blame the <laughs> pandemic completely for that. I'm one of those authors who looks down very much down her nose at, at, at people who don't go and do their research in the country. Who can possibly write about it if you don't know it? Oh, I could be so high and mighty about that. I've never been to Morocco It's not a country that I knew much about. The idea for the story came through a chance email that I received from a gentleman living in America. And he'd read a couple of my other World War II based novels and sent me this beautiful email saying how much he'd enjoyed them and how much he enjoyed. But he then said a little throwaway line. I really wish that somebody would write down my my wife's story of being a um, Jewish refugee in Casablanca during World War II. Little throwaway line, that got me wondering. So I emailed him back, but I I think he was quite an elderly gentleman, and I I got the impression that his wife wasn't with us anymore. I just sent a very gentle message thanking him, obviously, and saying how delighted I was that he'd he'd read my books and, and responded in that way and got in touch. And if he ever wanted to share any any of his wife's story, I'd love to know more. Okay. I didn't get a reply. 
and that's fine. You know, I'm yeah. not gonna not gonna go there. I'm not gonna try and intrude there. That's that's his story. That's his wife's story. But it just got me wondering. I thought, why do I not know anything about this? I've now written whatever it was, you know, four books about World War II, three of them set in France. Why do I not know? Yeah. The minute you say Casablanca, we all see Humphrey Bogart. There yeah. he is. We all know the film. The mystery and the, yeah. And, um, you know, and it's that, it is that very gripping film. And yet that's one tiny strand of what was going on there. And so I started to try and dig and do a bit of research of my own. And um, these stories, you know, the, the figures are astonishing of the number of the, the tide of refugees that yeah. washed up literally on the shores of Morocco at Casablanca, because that was as far wow. as they could get. So you had the whole of Europe pouring into North Africa, trying to leave, trying to get away, not just from France, but from all the other countries as well, because once... Europe was occupied by the Germans, the way out was to get to Casablanca and get a, a boat to, to Portugal. Right. And from Port on usually to the to America. So this tide of humanity washed up there, all different backgrounds, all different cultures. Did they come uh, through Spain? No, they, they mostly came France. through France, through Marseille. Okay. Okay. And then the, the, it's exactly the, the journey that um, Josie takes in the book. Okay. They came to Marseille and then they had to get a boat to Algeria, a, you know, a French protectorate. And then from okay. Algeria, they were then bussed into, into Morocco. And, okay. and, and then into the refugee camp, which was the big port. And they had these, um, these refugee camps there for yeah. these thousands of people. And I knew nothing about this. But the other fascinating thing about... Um, about Morocco and Casablanca in particular, is that we think of refugees as being people who have nothing, who've who've had to leave and and you know are, are living in terrible conditions and and you know really have have left everything behind. But some of these people were extremely wealthy. They had good connections. They could afford to live as Josie's family do. Right in quite a nice house you know and they had some money so they could they could sit it out and they could so, so although they were running for their lives and they were refugees they were actually then living this very strange life of plunging themselves into this very different culture and quite right. often getting stuck there for a long time yeah. a lot of the stories that that come out of Morocco during that time is exactly that people getting stuck there because there were these really complicated hurdles that you had to jump over to get all your paperwork lined up. You had yeah. the entry visas, exit visas, transit visas, and then they they talk about um, the queues at the consulates, and that would become what you did during the day. So you know, all of that was part of my inspiration. Um, interesting. So the minute I started doing that research. And I just thought, oh, this is a fantastic book. This is the book I'm going to write. I immediately booked being a, being a good author and one who looks down on people who don't go and do their research <laughs> in the country. I booked my trip. And then, of course, pandemic happened. The world shut down. I rebooked that trip three times. Oh. And each time it was cancelled again. So I never, I still haven't got there. 
But I, I did try and find other ways of doing my research. And it's amazing how many people will, will talk to you <laughs> if you're mad yeah. enough, like me, just to ask and just to say, to ask, you know, silly questions. Um, and I spoke to one wonderful lady who's in her late 80s now. And she'd been a French um, child living in Morocco during those years. So she was, you know, she was gold dust. She was absolutely fantastic. She hadn't been a refugee. Her father had been sent uh, as part of this kind of French administration to go and work there. But she could tell me what life would have been like for Josie on a day-to-day basis. And I I gleaned things wherever I could, you know, here, there and everywhere. You did a good job of um, making us feel like you had been there. Good. (laughs) I felt like you had... You know, at the very least, you had done your research between the sounds and the smells and the tastes. Yeah. I mean, you hit all of the right notes to make us feel like we had, we had seen Casablancas. That's one of the, the my the sort of trademark elements, if you like, of my other books. It's, I think that came out of my time in France and starting to write living in France. You know, I really wanted to transport people so that they were smelling the smells and tasting yeah. the food and and enjoying that the intangible things that make you really feel like you're there so it was really important to me with with the Casablanca book not to lose that so I had to find ways of of, of researching that and finding it out and one of the one of the best um bits was um when the family go to fairs and they visit the tanneries and there are wonderful descriptions because apparently, again, I've never visited a tannery, but apparently it is a smell unlike anything else you have ever come across. Well, thank you for joining us today. This has been so much fun and we really enjoyed reading about Morocco and exploring that with you and your characters. That's always such a treat to jump into a an author's mind for a little while. So thank you for doing that with us. Really thank all of you. Thank you for discussing the storyteller of Casablanca with us. This has been Journey Through History for Tuesday, December 6th, 2022. Okay, folks, that's it. You should be able to unmute yourselves. Well, David? Okay, folks. Uh, as David said, you want to raise your hand if you want to speak. Okay. Uh, Joni, I see your hands raised. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I love this book. Um, I wasn't so sure of it in the beginning. Um and and then I got the, um, what's the word that I want? I, I was able to, to realize that that was really going to be a good book. And um, Josie, meeting Josephine Baker was so interesting. Um, I had heard of Josephine Baker and... Uh, I knew a little bit about her, and um, Josie's family, um, Papa and Mama, uh, and even um, 
meeting. Her older sister. Annette. It was a pain, but Annette. What was it? Annette. Annette, that's right. But um and then going back to um oh gosh, I can't think of any names tonight. Uh Zoe. The, Zoe going I'm back sorry. to the you talking about Zoe or uh, you talking about the visit with uh, and I'm stuck with names too and I know it You talking about where Zoe goes back and visits Josie? I'm having trouble hearing. Um so just just keep talking. We'll we'll try to fill it in. Okay. Uh the woman and her husband from nineteen ten uh, from twenty ten. Yeah, Zoe and Zoe. Tom. Yeah. Zoe and Tom. Zoe yeah. and Tom. Zoe, thank you. Yeah. And um, you wonder what's going on with her. And, and in the beginning, I wondered about how she was, what she was doing with the baby. Uh, it seemed like she went to Grace's room. Grace was supposedly in a bed. She was three months old. Wouldn't she have been in a crib? And and I wondered about that, and that the baby really didn't. Um, she she really. Um, Zoe didn't. I don't know what I'm saying. Can I come back and, and say this later? Sure. I know what I want to say, but I can't okay. say it. Who's next? Jana Latrell. Okay. I really loved this book. I liked the dual timeline and the stories of both women, even though the stories, uh, even though the stories were different, uh, they both had their their hardships. And it was interesting how immersed Zoe was in Josie's story and um, how the author portrayed the hardships that they were both enduring. Uh, the setting of Morocco was really, really interesting. I like the way that she described the city. I didn't realize that it was a holding place for so many Jewish refugees. I liked the Moroccan stories, especially the one about the mosquito that swallowed the ocean because the ocean was getting so arrogant. And I also liked the way that uh, she wove quilting into the story and um, and how the how she talked about how the, the meanings of the different patterns that they used. So anyway, this was one of the best books I've read all year. And I thank you so much for recommending this. It was absolutely wonderful. Great. Great. Very good. Thanks, Michelle. Yeah, I, I agree with Jenna. I absolutely love this book. Um, I, I know after I finished it, I, I emailed David and I told him how very much I love this book. And I've been recommending it ever since I, I finished. Um, when I was, I have to say, I was a little confused when I first started reading it because I thought, you know, it's a Jewish family in Morocco, 
And they really didn't seem to be suffering a great deal of hardship. I mean, the parents, the fathers seemed to have a lot of connections and a lot of money. And there were plenty of people in Morocco that were Jewish that were in a refugee camp. And certainly, you know, everything that was going on in Europe. And I thought, you know, this family doesn't really seem to be having as difficult a time. I thought, well, they're just sort of hanging out and waiting to get to America and Certainly, I was completely wrong with my initial impression because they really went through through quite a bit. Um, I love Josie as a character. I just thought she was plucky. She was compassionate. She was smart. She helped her dad, you know, in, in his efforts. Um, I just thought she was phenomenal as a character. And, you know, even the dynamic with her sister felt very authentic. Um, I... And with uh, Zoe, in the beginning, I just thought, well, you know, she's having a bad marriage, you know, whatever. It doesn't really seem like, you know, it's it's too terrible what's going on. And then when she started volunteering in the refugee camp, I started getting very involved in her story. And then by the end, you know, the way that they came together, um, it, it was just, you know, I, I don't usually cry when I read books, but I was like... Very tearful. Um, it was it was just an amazing book. Um, it was just I, I, like I, I, to me, this is like great historical fiction. So thank you so much, David, for um, for suggesting it because I, I had never even heard of it, and it was just a, a great great experience reading it. Thanks. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I agree with you about the Morocco part. I had not realized people were in Casablanca trying to wait to you know to transit from there to lisbon or to portugal i'd heard of people being in portugal and going to america but i didn't realize some people before they could get to portugal would have to go to morocco and move from there it it always intrigued me when i've read about world war ii that different people experienced it in different ways because spain and portugal and sweden and switzerland were neutrals if you could get to those countries it was like you were in the timeout corner the the war wouldn't go there and get you and who's yeah who's next sherry yeah, hi. I really like this book tremendously also, and I second everything Michelle said about Josie. What a great character. I didn't like Zoe's story quite as well, and I'm, I, I really liked it better again when she started volunteering and helping out. I thought when she saw her friend Kate with her husband Tom, she jumped to quite a conclusion just from seeing them sitting on a park bench, but you realize later she wasn't at her best, so you kind of cut her some slack. Um, it when Josie when the ship got you know attacked, I I figured Josie died, and it was what a nice surprise to have her you know not have died. That was great, and I think a lot of authors would have had Josie and Felix get married, and I really appreciated that this author didn't do that. They just had them remain friends for the rest of their lives, and that was a nice change of pace that was also unexpected. And lastly, if anyone's interested, there's lots of history podcasts out there about Josephine Baker. She's quite interesting and very impressive with her spying. She helped tremendously. I didn't realize she was ever in Morocco, but I knew she did a lot of spying in France for the resistance and really had quite an interesting life. And it was nice that they included her in this book. That was a nice touch, too. So I, like everyone else so far, I really enjoyed this book. Thank you. Great. 
I'm glad you enjoyed it. Yes, Josephine Baker was a quite interesting secondary character, and she certainly had an interesting career and a unique background. Who's next, Alan? Betsy. Can you all hear me okay? Yes. Yes. You may hear a hum in the background because I'm on a hospital bed. But anyway, um, I love this book, too. And I, books here do not have it, so I had to listen to it. And uh, I've got it at our local library, which was read by someone with the accent you would expect over there. So that made it cool. But I just love the story. I could picture Zoe as, I mean, yeah, Zoe as well as the other characters, just because the way it was described and the way this particular reader read it. And I could also relate to a lot of it, especially where Josie was trying to find family because I didn't grow up with my parents either. and. Um, and I'm half Jewish, even though I'm near my father. So I always thought, well, through the whole book, maybe some of my relatives were in this. But I just loved the plots, and I liked the twist where it comes out, you know, that Zoe was still expecting to have her baby with her and how she went over that and how Josie worked with her through that. It was just, I just loved that. I couldn't say enough about it. I told my daughter she needs to read it. Great. I'm glad you enjoyed it. It it was a unique book in that not both of her parents were Jewish. One was, but that was enough for them to get out of uh, France. And I agreed with um, Sherry about Felix. You know, you thought they were going to get married, but she doesn't do that. I felt bad for her family, though. The ship gets bombed and she's lucky she was on deck um, and was able you know, to survive that with Felix's help. That was sad, all the paperwork, and they had to get off the ship because their their um, papers had run out of the dates. What a mess to be caught up in so much bureaucracy that you really couldn't control and that some bureaucrat could almost decide whether you lived or died, whether you could get out of there. Who's next, Alan? Ladon. Yes, I thought the book was quite in enjoyable going back and forth between the two time periods i thought that zoe's book uh zoe's story was a lot less attractive to me and with her washing her hands and her trouble with her with her husband i thought here's a woman that needs a psychiatrist and certainly she did need one uh, when we later found out that her ch child had died and she was carrying around and empty parcel and thinking that the child was still in there she needed a psychiatrist and i think it's a little stretch that a storyteller could come and help her solve all those problems now josie's story was very quite interesting but i thought she was awfully advanced for a 12 year old i, I don't know i've not been around that many really brilliant ch children i suppose i guess she could be that that thoughtful and and that resistant but uh everything but anyway her story was much more interesting i thought and of course we knew that josie was not going to make it to america because her treasured items was hidden in the floor and a child would not run off and leave her treasure island uh, items if she had her choice so she had to be snatched up and taken away by some reason or somehow and of course that's what what happened had she lived 
to be an adult. She might leave her treasures under there because they would be childish things. But of course, the war would have been long past by the time she was an adult. So she had, we had to know during the reading of the book that she didn't make it to America because her treasures were left behind. Um, had one other thing that I had thought, but I forgot what it is. So I'll go ahead and pass for now. Thank you. Thank you. That was a good point. Josie was rather advanced for a 12-year-old, but it, you know, it did make the book more interesting. I hated the part about the double agent who basically um, messed everything up for them. Who's next? Yeah, what was that? What was that scum's name? I can't remember. The double agent. Does anybody remember his name? Shin Ye or something, one that I couldn't. Quite uh, all I remember is he had dark, uh, yellow teeth and a bad breath. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, right. Okay, uh, Lynn. Uh, yeah, this took me about three hours into the book to really start getting interested in it at all. And um, the first thing that piqued my interest was the uh, and when she was on the playground and and uh they the kids were harassing her and uh the, the young boy came to her rescue and i kind of went oh well maybe something will be will come of this you know and and it was nice that they you know continued their friendship um um it kind of got took me a while to jump to start really paying attention to you know jumping from 2010 back to 20 to uh to world war ii back and forth and i you know i kind of kept my interest so i at least could figure out what was going on um uh the, the baby about the baby that was an interesting twist for me um the problem i had and i guess i was a bit cynical it was like oh gosh it's another book, and now they're they've done found a diary, or they done found a journal, and it just made me wonder how many uh, historical fiction books are out there <laughs> that are written where they find a diary or find a a journal. You know, I'm I'm sorry, I apologize, but you know. The, the main thing when I read historical fiction is um, that I'm interested in is the history part. <laughs> and I was kept going out, well, what's, what's the, who's real and who's not real? <laughs> and who's made up and who's not made up? <laughs> and I was hoping there would be a section in there, like in the last book that we read, that would that it kind of explain that. Um, but... For the most part, I enjoyed the book, and uh, it was worth a read. <laughs> Thanks. This had a definite Anne Frank shadow. You know, it was like Anne Frank, and uh, it was interesting seeing the war, well, just on the edges of the war, because they weren't right in it at that, where they were in Casablanca. All right. David, comments? Um, 
that though I agreed with some of that. I think Josie's section of the book was my favorite. Of course, it's the reason for the book because without her diary, Zoe would have just been another expat. We're in Morocco with her husband, who was doing work there. Who's next? Um, uh, Alan? Well, well, we don't have any hands. Uh, Don Queen, do you want to make any comments? Yeah, Don, did you have anything to say? Well, uh, no, I like the book. I like the book a lot, and uh, uh, I was surprised at the ending. I, I, I knew something was bad was going to happen. You know, that's trouble suspense parts of books, but uh, this was really kind of a different ending. It's very good. Okay. Uh, well, I think I'll go ahead and go. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed the book. I, I, I thought it was was excellent. Uh, I, I I didn't mind so much not having a whole lot of history. I really enjoyed the descriptions of of, of Casablanca and, and Morocco and, and, and all of that. So I tell you, my exposure to all that has been listening to to the to the movie with Humphrey Bogart, you know, and, and, and Ingrid Bergman. So you know, I, I I've missed a lot, but I th- I thought she did a real good job of weaving for somebody that's never been there of weaving all that into the story and. Uh, the story, the story was just great. I mean, I, I really liked the Josie character. I mean, if we had more spies like her, I mean, I think the war probably would have ended a lot sooner and stuff because she, she was, uh, I think she was head and shoulders among, among most of the guys that were doing the, the spying and stuff. She was definitely a smart cookie, but, uh, uh, I, I, you know, I, I, I was totally caught by the ending because, uh, I mean, the baby had been cooing at the mother all through the book and stuff. I guess it was just in her mind and stuff. So uh, I, I was not expecting that. But uh, uh, but uh, yeah, yeah, Fiona did a really good job uh, of this, and uh, I, I thought it, I thought it was a very good story and uh, an excellent choice, David. So uh, thank you. C- c- congrats! It, it it was a good read, and uh, uh, that seems to be the consensus. So so uh, thanks a lot for picking it. One thing I thought that uh, the author, uh, for my taste, went too much into the quilting, uh, trying to let the reader understand what quilting was all about. And it's no surprise later that we find out after the book has ended that the author is into quilting herself and just got into it. And so she has a great interest in it and wanted to convey that to her readers. And to me, that was a little boring part. Is everybody done? If so, I have one thing I wanted to add. Um, Go ahead, Sherry. I'll add something after you. Okay. I just um, wondered if anybody else thought of this. It's given that Josie was still in Morocco and Casablanca for years and years and years, I would have thought maybe she would have visited the house she used to live and explained to the people that she had her diary upstairs and maybe they would have let her go get it. So I was kind of surprised that that didn't happen. And also, I must say that the whole baby being dead, I, I like books with twists, but I kind of thought this was more than a twist. This was kind of like fooling us. And I kind of didn't like yeah. that. I didn't think that was I, as well yeah. written as the rest of the book. I, anyway, I that's it. You actually, yeah. I, this is Michelle. I, I agree with you. I was very surprised. That was the one part of the story that I thought it really kind of tricked us because it, it didn't give us the impression at all yeah. that the baby was gone. 
Mm-hmm. And um, so that was that was tricky. But what I was going to say in response to the quilt, the quilting is, I actually like that part of the story because I think it showed, it gave you a glimpse inside the refugee camp, and it showed you, you know, what what it what is possible if if you're in that kind of situation. It, it's a way that people kind of could can connect with each other, remember their heritage and their their culture and things like that. So. Um, you know, I think may, you know she she did that because she just wanted to expose us to, I, which she didn't, you know, expose us exactly in, in the Jewish in the Josie story and in the Zoe story. Both there were refugee camps, and she was trying to show us what it was like to be in that environment. And one thing I remember also was the eye disease that uh, Felix's mother got from, you know, that horrible thing where it went inside her eyelids and, and things like that, and, and it, was just, it just sounded terrible, excruciating. So I think that's why she talked about the quilting, was she just wanted to bring in culture and stuff like that. Plus. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I enjoyed the, the, the part of the quilting. I, I, I wasn't aware that, 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 that folks did that kind of thing, and the quilts told the stories, and they, they, they used it to, as a communication tool. So, so that, that was interesting. I, I think they did that in our Civil War, too. I'd heard of that, <laughs> pointing the way to the north, to freedom. I felt bad, though, for the economic refugees that were in the modern-day strand of the story, because that doesn't look like it, it's ever going to be easily fixed, and the exploitation by human traffickers is disgusting. Ken Follett wrote a novel with that as the main theme called Never, and it, it's about uh, people who made their way from Chad and how they were exploited. Some were left in the middle of the desert and were forced to work in a gold mine and they were never going to get away. But of course he has a superhero who rescues everybody, but it it was simply that over it's over 20 hours long. And he, I think he wrote it just to make people aware that refugees were not these monsters who were deliberately coming to Europe and everywhere else to steal your job. That places like Libya, once the Gaddafi was knocked out, created a vacuum that sometimes the devil, you know, is better than the devil. You don't, You know, you have to make all these decisions in shades of gray dealing with geopolitics. Though sometimes I think America tries to fix everybody too much and it just doesn't always work. But that's a a topic for another time. I'm glad everybody liked the book. I wasn't sure I was going to select it. I was getting worried because I couldn't find anything I wanted to do. And I didn't want to do another World War II book, but since this one was so different from the one we did about the woman in the Ukraine, I mean, in Ukraine, I keep forgetting you don't call it the Ukraine anymore, uh, the Ukrainian (laughs) sharpshooter, I decided to do this one. And it was a dual narrative, which was like the book in London with called the light over london with the times uh, streams of world war ii and the present so we've done three world war ii books i'm hoping i won't need to do any more though those are very popular right now yeah. and i'm hoping to find something i looked at something recently said in the 1600s in the mughal empire but i'm not sure i want to do it it's part of a series so i'll just have to hope something comes across board in the next two or three months that we can do set in a different time frame i want to get away from um world war ii and western europe and do something like we did previously either in uh in rome or ancient egypt or maybe japan something really different so i'll keep my fingers crossed i wanted to thank everyone for coming
I'm uh, do you want to give Joni another shot? To oh, that's right. More Joni, you had something else to add. Joni? Well, um, <clears throat> you know, they were counting on going to America, and they were filling out all kinds of papers, all kinds of forms, and had they been able to get on a ship, and had they been able to get as far as the U.S., they would have been turned back because they were not, they, they really did not want any more Jews to come into the U.S. And they, um, they wouldn't allow ships to, you know, and, and people were begging them. And Roosevelt and I think Eleanor tried to get her husband to allow more Jews in, but it was a you know it was the whole anti-Semitism thing all over again, and we're seeing it so much today. And they were afraid to let more Jews in because they thought that Jews, me being one of them, would take over the world. And it, it, when you read about it, it, it's just so sickening. And I, I did love the book. I was going to say, I had heard that some Jewish people were able to get to Shanghai because it did not require a really strict paperwork. So there was a huge refugee population hanging out in World War II Shanghai, which really must have been quite... Um, interesting because that city was uh, Japanese-occupied, but apparently the Japanese were not anti-Semitic in the way that Germany was. And if you were in Macau, which at that time was a Portuguese possession on the coast of China, Portugal being neutral, if you were in Macau, or even, I believe, Goa in India, which did not join India until the um, early 1960s, I believe you were in these sort of safe spaces. But like I said, the world war is always complicated, and some people can find the sort of border areas where you can sort of get away. I don't have anything else to add, unless anybody else, else has anything to add. I will Thanks. turn it over to Can I jump in Thank here? you, David, yeah. for doing this. Oh, wait, who um, wants to jump in? Uh, yeah, this is Lynn. You know, I don't know if anybody had seen uh, the Tim Burns documentary back in September on PBS about the Holocaust and the yes. Jews and the immigration problem. Yes. And, uh, um, and that's, I think that's where the, uh, where I heard about the Jews going, and then some of the Jews ended up in in Shanghai, China, and which I thought was like, wow, what a difference that made um, for the Jews that had to, you know, go through that. Um, I got to participate locally here um, in a discussion group uh, about the, and that was fairly interesting for me. But it's, I saw the Tim Burns thing, and I know it focused a lot on the Jews, or mostly on the Jews, but in typical of just the immigration problem that we're having today, and the immigration problem that we have throughout the United States from its beginning till today. 
um, where, you know, a group would come over, whether it would be Irish or Irish Catholic or ever, however you want to di- divide these people up into, well, these people are not like us. They're over here, either the, to take our jobs and, and stuff like that. And it's, it's, and it's the same problem today. Um, but um, thanks for listening for, to me. I appreciate yeah, that's it. a good point. Um, also in the Ken Burns documentary, even though the United States was turning Jews away, at the some point in the documentary, he said that we took more Jews than most other countries, which made me feel a little better. So at least we did take some, even though they had quotas and had to um, fight to let anybody in. They, we did at least take quite a few. Latin Not America. Latin I America see when I when I see what uh, refugees had go through in those troubled times and troubled times we had today, and I look at myself, I believe that I would probably perish under those conditions. So I really admire people that are were able to do that and then live through it. Latin America took some Jewish people, but it was really hard to get in. I think you had to forge baptismal documents to claim you were Catholic. It was really a complicated thing. So I don't think that many were able to take advantage of Latin America. And Adam, well, I was going to say, we, we never asked, Brad, did you read the book? Did you have any comments you wanted to make? Yeah, we uh, never did. Yeah. No, you know, okay, I didn't. Okay. Uh, I, but, my uh, achievement for the month was finishing the Hitler book. Sorry. <laughs> okay. I figured you'd jump in if you had any comments to make, but no, I wanted to give you a chance. I, so. I had to put that Hitler book down two times to read something else, but my <laughs> okay. goal was to finish it. And I, I, I got that goal and I was kind of exhausted after that. So what can okay. I do? Understood. <laughs> okay. And watching, and watching the Tim Burns special, it seemed like to me that like right after the Nazis took over in 1933, there was a period of time where they wanted to have the, the Nazi party wanted to have them, the, the, the Jews exported to other countries. And at that time, nobody wanted them. Yeah. It seemed like to me, if I remember this right. And then, so after a while, they used, kind of did the final solution and um, and and went went in that direction. The univer the universities were recruiting professors, and Pierre Schlesinger wasn't he in Shanghai, in China? His family escaped there. Don't know. Yeah, yeah. They talked. He talked about it, and. They woke up one morning. There's all these dead people. It froze to death outside. Yeah, it was pretty bad. Wow. Yeah, they were Chinese. Well, Hitler also believed in eugenics. So, mm-hmm. if you weren't an Aryan, which he really wasn't, <laughs> yes, um, then you should. You were not fit to be on this earth. No, no. And that was one of his excuses. I think in the remaining bit, Don, did you want to have your promo played? It's not very short. Yeah, let's. Or 2023. I'll play it. Go ahead. 
This is about, never mind. Fallen Idols, 12 Statues That Made History, by Alex von Tunzelman. Harper Collins and Harper Audio present Fallen Idols, 12 Statues That Made History, by Alex von Tunzelman. This is a book about how we make history. There are lots of ways we remember the past. In song, in verse, in movies and TV shows, in art, in artefacts, in exhibitions and festivals. We tell our stories in fiction, in non-fiction, in propaganda, in anecdotes, in jokes. This book looks at one particular and controversial form of historical storytelling. Statues. Statues are intended, literally, to set the past in stone. As we'll see, that doesn't always work. Library of Congress Annotation The author explores the act of toppling monuments and the ways that societies remember and confront the past. She focuses on the fall or defacing of statues for historical figures such as General Robert E. Lee, Christopher Columbus, King Leopold II, Winston Churchill, and others. Fallen Idols, 12 Statues That Made History by Alex von Tunzelman Art Recording D.B. One zero six eight four zero. Read by Kristen Atherton. DB one zero six eight four zero. This, this is a series of stories you haven't heard about. There were statues. He talks about Mao and Stalin, and uh, Trujillo, but you know King Leopold. We haven't heard much about, and some of the other just terrible people they mentioned in the story, as well as the nice uh, roads of Africa and the road scholarships and all that. So anyway, I think you find it's it's a pretty interesting book. Don, that was a piece by Mazorsky, wasn't it? Something about exhibition in a portrait gallery. Yeah, yes, it was. Yeah, I yes, it thought was. I recognized Pictures that. Pictures at an exhibition, the promenade. Yeah, I had a quite a time getting, I finally got it away from Alexa, got it for me, so.
I had heard it at at an orchestra concert once. Yeah, yeah, that's what I got. There's a little. that part I like. The rest, they they had some very poor parts on the YouTube that weren't very piano and so on. But this, but it's um, Mm. I think it's um, I appreciate these suggestions from our group here and uh, we, uh, what was the db 106 db 106 840 i think okay that's it yep yeah, that's right yeah yep following idols and idols with an old not a, not yeah. a i or why <laughs> okay now, not an L-E-S, yeah. It's L-E-S, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or it isn't, yeah. Yeah, it's not, it's not, yes. I-D-O-L-S, yeah, idols. But, but she says, uh, she as they say, they, to, to destroy your history, you don't like a certain part of history to ruin it rather than doing something about not doing it again. Right, yeah, 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 yeah. People are real good at taking... A physical action instead instead of trying to work or work through the actual problem. Yeah, yeah, that's, a, that's, yeah, that's yeah. exactly right. Yeah. yeah so. But this guy, uh, William, of Cum- Duke of Cumberland, was at ba- the Battle of Culloden, and he he was really bad. Right? He was a big <laughs> hero for a while. There's a county in Virginia named after him, and a few other things. But uh, anyway, you find about these characters. It sounds interesting. Okay, Do we know that. how long this book is? Yeah, not, no, oh, it's I, not very long. It's about 10 hours. Nine, nine hours and 10 minutes. Oh, oh nice. Okay. Even I can read that one. Oh, yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> right. me too. I could do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Look to your best if anyone uses it like me. That's a Look short sure story for you, Don. Um, yeah. <laughs> Indeed. The, the author talks so fast, though. I don't have to slow her down a bit. She's, you mean the I, narrator I that, that, was, was fast? No, well, no, was not, fast? not the narrator was slower. Yeah, she was. Oh, but okay. the, um, but the, uh, no, she's, she's got a British accent. I don't know where oh, the font, okay. it must be a Dutch, it could be German. But I have Dutch to. Name. I have to share one of my favorite quotes about statues. Stephen Colbert said that everybody remembers the Titanic and there are no statues to the iceberg. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. I love it. <laughs> they, they had a real funny skit on Saturday Night Live where, where Bo and Yang played the iceberg. And he was hilarious. <laughs> oh, that would be great. <laughs> I, I don't remember what the funny lines were, but 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 it was hilarious. Yeah, yeah. And that that was just in the last year, I think. So wow. it, it was. Yeah, you might try to find it on YouTube yeah. or something. But <laughs> but uh, anyway, all right. This was an excellent meeting. Good choice, David. Nicely done. Yeah. So uh, yeah, you did. You made the, an excellent choice. Uh, yeah. yeah. Glad everyone liked it. It was yeah. a hard choice, but I'm glad we. All liked it. I gotta say that that's got to be the most 
liked history book on a history meeting that we've ever had. I, I think I'll, it I'll is. Say. I think yeah. you're right. I think so. <laughs> I'm glad. Yeah. So, but it, it was a it was a good read. Yeah, My sixteenth. It, it was a really good choice. Book. Yeah. yeah. And the next you one did good, David. Yeah. 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 You did real good. I think I think Casablanca might come on TCM tonight. I may have to. May have to listen to Humphrey Bogart uh, <laughs> say a few lines too. But uh, anyway, after I have, yeah. I have, have to... an audio described copy of Casablanca. Oh, my God. oh yeah, I'm sure it's on. It's probably on audio vault, isn't it, Brad? I yeah, that's what. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, 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 showed it yeah. on iBug. I don't know if I can. I can use that yeah. song or not. Yeah, that uh, audio vault. I'm so glad you gave me the the, the, the website for that. Cause I, that you can get some great stuff there. So, There's tons yeah. of good stuff there. Yeah. It, it really is. It, it's a great site to know. Yeah, so, <laughs> that's where I get all my. Well, moves. when I get my new computer, get, you can't get a Charlie Brown Christmas on it though. Oh, they don't have that. Okay. I'm surprised. <laughs> I had to make my own, but that's okay. You? Thank yeah. you, Apple TV. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> it's audio described, and I recorded it, so it will be played on my Christmas Eve special. So there you go. There you go. Well, they got the Muppet Christmas Carol. That's my favorite. So I have to. I have to watch that every oh, year. I can't so. do that. That's you can't do. Have you got any of it? Got the movies off of Blind Mice, where they give you the audio description and the they don't movie. Really I used to, but it's harder to use than audio vault. I I quit going. I I can't find anything on it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Audio vault's much better to go now. Yeah, and blind my smart use that stupid send space. Is that right? I hate that. that Awful. Oh yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah, it's horrible. Vault's got a weird interface. Once you get used to it, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. The book's strange. Yeah, the the movies download fast though and stuff, so it's yeah it's, they it's do. Great. Yeah, it's so. a good FTP or whatever yeah, they're using. Yeah, right, good. right, yeah. So, but anyway, okay, guys, I'm out of here. But well, thanks, uh, okay. folks. Great, right. great movie. I mean, Take great, care, uh, great discussion. Thank you. Yeah. Next month, yeah. same bad All right. time. All right, happy Thank holidays, you. everybody. Yep. So. See you next Definitely year. Definitely happy birthday. Yeah. Happy yeah, holidays, exactly. everybody. Next year. Yes. Exactly. Got to get back to the plug to word go. here, and Michelle will be working with it. Okay, yeah. Bye, bye, folks. Here we go. <laughs>